Welcome to the Going Beyond Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Zinn. I'm a mother, an author, and an entrepreneur who is committed to and curious about living a life that is always evolving. This is a lifestyle podcast covering health, both body and mind, self-care, why it is a necessity and how tough it can be to master, entrepreneurship, its ups and downs, cultural disruption, and the topics we sometimes avoid, as well as love, sex, friendship, and more. This podcast is a place and a community for people who are willing to do the hard work of growth, who want the tools and inspiration to step into it, and who want to grow each and every day of their lives. I interview movement makers, leaders, survivors, writers, and founders. Their stories move me and will move you to cultivate more strength and clarity during every step of your day. Enjoy today's episode and thanks for spending time with me at this very special place in my life over here at the Going Beyond podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for investing in yourself by listening. I am very, very, well, happy might be a weird word to use, but I am happy that I'm able to use this podcast as a tool to really open up to really difficult aspects of a very challenging period of time, but to bring profound thinking and helpful insights and real tangible tools to all of you listening so that maybe this time feels more digestible, more understandable, more manageable, all of the above. I figure right now, however we can help, whatever we can do to make things better one day at a time is what we all should do. So that's what's happening here on the podcast. I'm calling it the Corona Pandemic Going Beyond Podcast mini series. So that's what's happening. And we've been talking about anxiety. We've been talking about how we're managing our kids and homeschooling. We've been talking about our marriage, our partnership, our relationships, all kinds of good stuff. And I want to say thank you because a few people that I don't know, but our listeners of the podcast are reaching out to me to offer insights on what should be in this mini series. And some of these people are going to be in upcoming episodes. And the topics coming to me are real interesting. So a lot is coming up during this time. Lots of fruitful, good stuff that I really am enjoying diving into. Okay, so recently I put up a post on Instagram and I asked you guys to tell me what do you want to talk about during this mini series. And one of the things that came up was the topic of trauma. And I myself am really fascinated by this topic. It's something I've personally explored quite a lot. And a few things that I want to say about trauma, and then we're going to get into it with my guest today. So Trauma is something that you don't always know is happening when it's happening. And I can safely say that during a time like this, when your life is turned 100% upside down and you are no longer able to operate in your normalness, we're probably going to find instances of something traumatic in that. When relationships are forced to shift and change, we're probably going to find something traumatic in that. The person that really got into, you know, sent me this message and said she really wanted to hear about trauma on the podcast also said that trauma of the past was coming up and that there was something in this that she really hoped I would unpack. Well, okay, here we are. So 
I thought, what better way to get into the topic of trauma than with the person who have spent really the most time with me talking about my trauma. <laughs> and that would be my dear, dear, beloved Kristen Miskell, who also is my therapist. I'm not saying that she's mine. She's many people's, but she's mine. And I love her. And I'm very, very grateful for all of the growth that I have been able to achieve with her. And one of her specialties happens to be looking at digesting, exploring, and processing trauma with her clients, with her patients. So I just said, it has to be Kristen to come and talk about this with me. So I'm going to give you just a really brief intro to Kristen, and then we're going to welcome her. So Kristen has maintained a private psychotherapy practice in the Flatiron District of New York for over 20 years. She specializes in treating trauma as well as eating disorders, codependency, and addictions. She's a senior student and board vice chair at Brooklyn Zen Center, where she also co-leads their monthly Undoing Whiteness and Oppression Dharma group. We're also going to head in that direction in this conversation too. Kristen lives in New Jersey with her beloved pooches, who I love too, and she spends her free time doing lots of beautiful cooking and baking. And if anybody is going to follow her on Instagram after this which you're, or Facebook, wherever she's going to steer you, you're going to see lots of pictures of beautiful food and beautiful pups. So Kristen, welcome to my podcast. This is like literally a huge honor for me. Randy, thank you so much. It's so delightful to be here with you. And I just want to Thank you for providing something so vital to the people that you reach in so many different directions. You know, the more, I'm really a big fan of this belief that the more support that is out there and available to people, the more choices people have to seek out solace and refuge and assistance and understanding, the better. So I've peeped in and listened to your podcasts so far, and I love them. And thank you. Thank you for having me here with you. Yay. Yeah. A secret joke between me and Kristen is that like any time I can squeeze in time with her outside of my professional moments with her, I will take. And this is one of them. And any of you who are laughing Lotus people will also know that we're also in the yoga community and we speak the yogi language. And I know a lot of my listeners do too. So I'm sure all that good stuff is going to come into this conversation. So Kristen, you kind of heard me give my little spiel about trauma what's happening in a moment when our lives are really truly turned upside down. So maybe it would be helpful just to kind of start by giving a sense of what is trauma actually? And like when it's happening, particularly in a moment like this with this pandemic, let's give us the download. Yeah. So, you know, there are trauma psychotherapy and, you know, looking into trauma in an individual person's history has been something that's been a part of psychotherapy practice, you know, pretty much since the very, very beginning, way back with Dr. Freud himself. But what's been happening over the last, I would say, maybe two decades or so has been an increased focus on trauma in the body. And one of the reasons this is really important is because as we understand in trauma research, what we understand about it is that Trauma is housed in the body. There's a wonderful book by a man named Bessel van der, Kolk, van der Kolk that's called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's a wonderful collection of essays about trauma treatment. And it also, in the title itself, tells a lot about trauma, which is that you know when we are born, you know this as a mom, right? We are bodies first. 
bodies before were minds, bodies before were even emotions or have the capacity to name emotions. We experience life moving through us, through our bodies first. So trauma, in my way of working on, on it, is anything that happens throughout one's experience of being human that interrupts our nervous system in such a way that makes it difficult for us to move forward without being activated by a memory or without being shut down or hyper-aroused. So looking at it from the perspective of the nervous system, first of all, we're able to tap into how we can meet it and treat it, right? So for me, we talk about in trauma, well, we talk about big traumas, big T traumas, capital T, and little T traumas. And the fact is that actually any perturbation or any interruption of our you know, experience of safety can create an experience, a felt a body experience of trauma. So oftentimes what happens is I have clients will say, you know, I don't know, you know, it's, it can't be trauma. It's this just thing that happened once, you know, it can't really be that traumatic. It's just happened once or it happened 25 years ago. How could it still be operating? Or we get into comparative mind. I know somebody who's got XXX in their lives and they seem to be okay. What, who am I to be suffering with this quote unquote little thing that's happened to me in my life? And what I say to that every single time is we are living in our subjective bodies and our subjective minds, right? So whatever it is that we experience as traumatic, as challenging to move through, as difficult to remember or difficult to heal is worthy of our attention. And if our body is telling us in some form of dysregulation, if our body is telling us that it needs our attention, then no matter what it's about, we need to pay attention. We need to respond. Yes. So I think that's a really helpful insight about where trauma lives, what it is, and how to accept that it's normal, it's okay. What I find really confusing personally, and maybe you can explore a little bit with us about what you're hearing, because I know as a psychotherapist, you're very busy right now. <laughs> Never, been busier. <laughs> Never been busier. Yeah. <laughs> Unemployment may be rampant, but not if you're a shrink right now. <laughs> no. You know, I think what's personally so confusing to me is, you know, when I think of trauma, whether it's big T or little t trauma, we tend to befriend its reality after the fact. Mm -hmm. What's so interesting right now is it's almost like time has slowed down mm -hmm. because we're all in this quarantined situation. And to whatever degree we're actually toying with the reality because some of us have been ill, some of us have lost a loved one already to the virus. Some of us have, thank God, been untouched, but we are very removed from our lives, our normal lives, and we're surviving in a very altered state. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm very aware of all of this. And so it's almost like we're able to kind of watch this in slow motion in this very strange way, Yeah, but it does feel incredibly altering. Yeah. So I think that's an important point and observation. And here's something else that I want to name here, which is that there is something happening in the planet, on the planet, in the world that has never happened in 102 years. The last time something like this happened. So the Spanish flu was in 1918. It was a pandemic, killed millions of people. Nothing like that has ever happened between then and now. 
So what I'm naming here is that not only are we experiencing our own individual traumatic reactions to a life-altering pandemic, but we are also a part of a collective trauma. The entire world is experiencing life upending, death, fear, worry, concern, loss of job, record insecurity for all kinds of things, medical care, housing, food itself, safety, immigration, if someone's going to be able to get home or back to their country or into this country to be with their family. I mean, we've never had an experience like this before in our lifetime. So why that's important to name is because it's disorienting. It's very, very disorienting to find ourselves in the middle of this and also to have an expectation that we are to both kind of lead our lives, do the things that we need to do to stay upright and get things done, but also to respond to the massive need and needs that are out around us. And this disorientation can do a couple of things. Some of us become hyperproductive in times of collective duress. And that can look like overactivity. It can look like busyness. It can look like being overscheduled. It can look like a worry mind, which is like a constant perseveration about the next thing. It doesn't even have to be pandemic related, right? It can just be the mind is on overdrive or hyper aroused. Or we can tend to flop down and go into more of a dissociative mode of disconnecting, numbing out, denying refusing to be in the truth about what's in front of us. And I want to say that what's important about this, Randy, is that both of these are normative responses. There's nothing abnormal about either of these. They are just different ways that the nervous system responds to a massive crack, right, in the way that we are used to experiencing our lives and and the norms of our lives. So part of what I'm really interested in doing is asking people to start First, by slowing everything down. Now, the funny thing is, this quarantine is kind of making us do that. Mm -hmm. It's actually forcing us to stop and slow down. And we are all going to have different reactions to that, right? You know, you know me by now, and, and Ayurvedically, I'm probably about as pitta as they come, so fiery, fiery, right? So my tendency is to, when in under duress, is to go, 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 go. Oh. You have never seen so many loads of laundry and so much cleaning (laughs) and like, it's crazy, but I understand that I'm trying to establish some kind of control. That's exactly right. And again, there is nothing wrong with that. It's not abnormal. It's not dysfunctional. It's not problematic, you know, nor is the, you know, laptop on the bed with, you know, watching the entire season of Breaking Bad. Like it just, it doesn't like whatever we need to do, right. To a certain point. Right. To a certain point, certain point. Right. So here's the thing that for me is really, really important for us. And one is, is we've got to take stock. We have to just stop and take stock. And a question we can ask to take stock is something like, how do I notice I respond to moments I cannot control? And this is a really, really epic one, right? There is so much control that is just absolutely, totally out the window. Nothing that we can do about this pandemic in a very certain way, right? In other words, that it is silent. It's got no face. It's got no, we can't other this virus, right? We can't other it. It's not, doesn't have a certain religion. It doesn't have a certain nation state. It's not led by a certain leader. There's nothing to other. It is in here amongst us. So that lack of control is profound. 
And one of the things that I think we have to start by doing in the slowing down process is to take stock and ask, what's my tendency when things go upside down? What happens for me? And part of the thing that's important about that, Randy, is not only is it an important part of coping, but it is also an important part of working with our brain, turning on the part of the brain that's responsible for being able to name an experience. And when we're able to name an experience, we use a part of the brain that allows us to actually move out of that fight, flight, freeze, or flop zone, right? The amygdala, the fire alarm center of the brain. So that taking stock is something that is really also about an intimate self-knowing, right? Yes. I would just like to pause there for one second and reflect back and say, in my own trauma work with you, I will say that it is that naming that probably had one of the more profound effects on my ability to manage trauma responses and behaviors because so often we're just in total response mode, Mm -hmm. almost as if it feels like we have no control, Mm -hmm. but to be able to slow down take stock and get down to the actual roots of what am I actually feeling right now? What does this actually come from? Mm -hmm. You're no longer, you know, a slave really to just whatever is coming up. You actually can have a feeling of understanding and therefore manage a bit better what's happening. It's a very, I'm saying that because this is not just words. This is actually like real practice and it really does make a difference. Absolutely. In fact, you know, when we, I think I've shown you my, the chart I have about increasing the resilient zone and emotional regulation, which is a beautiful one. It was actually created by my mentor in concert with some others. And one of the things that we name as a skill to not only to widen the resilient zone, right? Which is the resilient zone is the place where we're able to be emotionally regulated, right? So the resilient zone is filled with all of our human emotions, right? So it's not flat, lots and lots of emotions, but we are able to regulate them, right? So fear comes up or anger or shame or guilt or sadness or joy or love or passion. These emotions can surface, but we have the capacity to undulate within our internal system to be able to be with those emotions without being either capsized by them or overactivated by them. So one of the skills that we encourage in the practice of widening this zone of resilience is actually naming what's arising, right? Name what's arising. And you're, again, you're using a different part of the brain to it that enables you to start to turn that fire alarm center of the brain off so that it can allow you to either come up out of being flattened and dissociated or come down out of being overactivated and overstimulated. Yeah. And this naming process is also something that allows us to begin to slowly piece by piece pick apart, slowly pick apart what is it that's in this that is dysregulating me, right? So this is important too, Randy, naming what your listener was interested in. Why now are we being reminded by things that maybe happened 25 or 30 years ago? And one thing that I want to say about that in the beginning here is I saw the exact same thing happen after 9-11. So interestingly enough, I had just started my private practice about a month before 9-11 hit. Wow. Talk about baptism by fire. I mean, yeah, I'd say so. (laughs) There was, you know, a fast learning curve here. And this came up a lot for folks was, you know, I don't understand why I'm having all these memories about a childhood trauma. I'm 47 years old and this happened when I was five. I don't get it. So one thing that, and this is the same thing is happening now with COVID-19, the exact same hearing, the exact same thing. So something that is important to remember about that 
is that again, it is in our bodies to the degree that we may not, one of our coping mechanisms may have been to distance ourselves from our trauma. When our bodies are not at either breakneck speed, just as New Yorkers know, one thing after the next, right? Busyness can be an addiction. Busyness can be a distraction. Busyness can be a way to not be intimate with ourselves. Then when we have these, an experience like COVID-19 coming forward and we're activated by the collective trauma, we are also going to see ourselves being pulled back to these earlier traumas, particularly if they didn't get any healing or any attention or any naming. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying to my clients is welcome all of it. And we can absolutely manage all of it together. One thing to do though, is to in acknowledging it is to, what I kind of think of as getting really honest. Is this partly coming up because there's something that's reminding me of it, something that's happening in my life in the middle of this crisis? Maybe I was food insecure as a child, and I'm worried about what's going on in my refrigerator. Maybe I had to take care of a parent when I was a child, and my elderly parent is over 80 and is at risk of getting COVID-19, right? Could be anything where there is a direct link to the memory, but it also could be that we've just spent a lot of our lives pretending that traumatic thing never happened. So part of the question has to occur, the question has to come forward is, have I really, really looked, have I given myself permission to fully look and feel into what's not been known, what I've not permitted myself to know from long, long ago? The good news is the same things that are going to support us in being able to move through this collective trauma right now, it's the same thing that we're going to use to allow us to heal from that which has not been seen, held, and contained, and moved through from childhood. They're the right. same skills. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. put it all in and it's going to help everything. Yes, exactly. It's interesting. I recorded an episode yesterday with a woman who's a coach and primarily works with couples. And we mm. really dove into like what's happening in the partnerships during this quarantine right. period. It was really, yeah. really an interesting conversation. And one of the things that she said that was coming up for me, she said, you know, this is a time where perhaps you don't want to like deep dive into the heavy duty stuff with your partner. Like perhaps it really is about like in a way like partnering now in the ways that you know how and speaking up for what's going on right now in the moment and focusing on that level of things. And that's okay because in some ways we're in a survival mode right now. And I actually really agree with that. However, what I also agree with and feel strongly about is that the voice of our spirit does not lie. And when stuff like what you're kind of talking about is coming up, Mm -hmm. when you are having a pretty major fear, panic, emotion that feels like it's about this, but it's also kind of about the heavy stuff of the past Mm -hmm. that, like you're saying, didn't get the voice, didn't get the attention or the acknowledgement, and it is up, well, it's here. That's right. And now it is time to acknowledge it. And hopefully you can get some support. And I will say out loud that every wonderful therapist that I know is doing their work remotely and doing their work over Zoom or FaceTime. And this is actually a beautiful time to find support and to work with these parts of your life that, I mean, maybe this is in some way like the gift of this, that we have the chance to actually do some of this work. And if it's coming up for you, don't hide because as you're saying, it's all connected. 
That's right. And that's a really great point to what your speaker said to you about, you know, don't dig for the hard stuff right now in your, she was referring to in couples. And I would say that individually too. So for example, for me, it's different, right? It's different to say, you know, I'm going to go on a treasure hunt right now and I'm going (laughs) to mine the fields of my whole being and I'm going to find the thing that hurts the most and I'm going to do the work on that now, right? Like, no, I'm actually not a fan of that ever. Generally not the way I like to encourage people to welcome whatever's there. But to your point, it's an excellent, important one, which is if it's here, that's what I'm saying when I say to this thing of radical honesty with ourselves. If it's here, it's here for a reason. Your spirit doesn't lie. Your body doesn't lie. So the degree to which we are going to, I think I've spoken to you about that, the analogy of the beach ball, right? So if we try to press a beach ball underwater, right? The farther we try to press it down, the harder it is going to be to keep it down underneath, right? And the more we push and the more we resist what's coming up, it's, you know, natural inclination to surface. The more we resist that and the deeper we try to push it down, as soon as we get tired and let go, it's going to, you know, ricochet up through the surface of the water, right? And create a whole other kind of unnecessary explosion, as it were, right? Instead, If it happens, that beach ball, to bob along our purview and tell us it's something that needs our attention, then there are all kinds of ways we can work with it. We can gently brush it aside and say, not right now. I see you. I'm aware of you. I'm going to name you as something valid and important, deserving and worthy of my love, compassion, and attention. But maybe not right in this moment. Thank you for showing up. I'll get back to you. That's different in my mind than that repression, which is a, no, I don't even know it's there. It's like I do the, what, I'm sorry, what? You said what? You know, as though nothing's happening. That's dangerous for us to do, right? Not to mention, what I mean by dangerous is that it is pushing against the stream of what wants to come out, first of all. Second of all, it takes an incredible amount of energy to resist what's arising. Yes, it does. It is exhausting to do that over yeah. them. Yeah. It's like, isn't it, is it Hafez or Rumi? One of the homeboys. One of those geniuses. One of those homeboys <laughs> who said like the hardest work in the world is like going against the ocean or something. Yes. You know my point. It's, it's basically that the harder work is when those things are coming up and we're like going against that natural flow. That's exactly right. And I'm not sure who said this. So please forgive me. I'm not, this is not me. We're clearly not gifted at quoting the Sufi poets, but we know what they're saying. Kind we of. know what they're saying. <laughs> the, in the neuroscience world, which I'm not a neuroscientist, but I love neuroscience and its relationship to trauma healing is that which we resist persists. Yeah. Hands down. And I see it over and over and over again. So here's the other thing that's happening in this time. That's so beautiful we could look at it as quite an incredible opportunity is we've all sort of been forced into silent retreat in some way or another. Now it might not be silent as in we're not speaking to anybody. And certainly if we have children or if we have partners or we're caring for other elderly relatives in our lives, it's not necessarily silent, but it is more still in a way that most of us are accustomed to. So here's the thing. It is an incredible opportunity in that stillness to create the container that will allow us to process whatever material comes up. Again, we're not going to dig for it. We're not going to go searching for it, but we're going through a kind of practice of a sort of slowing down and stilling the mind and body creates a container that allows material to surface 
And then from that stillness, we can find a way to more lovingly and more compassionately tend to it. Yeah. So you kind of went there, Kristen, but my reality and the reality of a lot of people in my world is that it's like the opposite of quiet. It's Mm -hmm. more like pandemonium most of the time. And what can be very challenging is, you know, as you're talking about this beach ball, like these things arising and, you know, I have this full intention to acknowledge and be with and name, but it can feel like I don't really have all the space for all the stuff coming up, that's hard. And so where are we working in those confines? Thank you, Randy, so much because, you know, you're, (laughs) this is so funny because you're naming that so beautifully and it's so important. You know, I'm speaking, obviously, I guess, from my experience of of being, uh, living by myself with my dogs, right? So I'm used to a lot of solitude, right? And it is so different for folks living in, you know, a family unit, tending to children, tending to spouses, tending to family. So something that I think is important in that is two things coming to my mind. One is the old adage of put your own oxygen mask on first before you try to put it on somebody else. And the reason I bring that up now is to say that, for example, in families with children, as you know, you know, our, the children are going to be more in need, you know, than the adults are. Why? Well, because they're children and they are dependent upon those who care for them. So one of the things that I'm talking to parents about is the importance of, if you happen to have a partner, the importance of relying on that partner as a refuge and a space to try to create a little bit of stillness. Here's where your other podcast guests point is so important. That is not the time to go into the themes of the struggles in the marriage. That's the time to recognize that you are on the same team. Yes. And if you have children, for example, and your children need you to be on the same team. So it actually means that sometimes you're going to have to drop some shit. Pardon me. We're going to have to drop some shit. Yeah. So, and another reason why this put oxygen mask on first before you tend to others is that it doesn't matter to me whether it's five minutes or an hour. Some period of time at the beginning of your day where there is an opportunity to greet yourself very directly. And I am a, you know, really big fan of affirmations and, you know, to set the tone inside the body, but also permissions. So, you know, something like for me, it's going to be something like, you know, with all the compassion I can muster, I welcome everything that arises today. And I commit to creating as much stillness as I'm able to P.S. fail at it all the time. It's okay. But create as much stillness as I'm able to, to welcome everything arises as it arises without any need to fix it or change it, but give myself full permission and an ask to be with it. So again, five minutes, or if we happen to have some opportunity for 20 minutes or 30 minutes for that in a walk, doing the dishes, it doesn't matter what the activity is, it matters where you're allowing your brain, your mind, your heart, your soul to focus enough to be able to give yourself permission to tend to whatever's coming up for you. Yeah. I mean, I think another gift piece of this period of time is finding the pleasures and the joys in the simple things again. Yes. It feels like we're going back into something that has been sorely missed. And like we were joking the other day in our conversation, I was like, 
Hey, it's been like 20 years since I gave myself a pedicure. And that is the most privileged, ridiculous statement. But let me just be honest, like to get all up in my own toenails was really interesting. You know, and like we've started like cleaning the house as a family and like putting on the music and we're cleaning and there is, and I have to admit as much as I want to strangle my kids a lot, I'm also really loving these sweet, joyous, connected moments with them, you know, and really it's all true. That's right. It's all true. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And it's all true. And there is actually space for all of it. Yeah. Everything that arises can be met with permission to, you know, let it be what it is, which, you know, I said to you earlier that, you know, I had a crashed into a wall yesterday and have enough sense to know that there was nothing that was wrong. It was just the things, right? right. It's just, you know, the world right now, the need to keep so many things kind of going in order to be able to stay up on what's happening, to take care of myself, to be responsive to my communities. And we're going to hit walls. That's just how it's going to go. And Kristen, like full on, like bow to you. I mean, and to all of those that are supporting the emotional needs of us, the people, I mean, you guys are holding the space for a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of emotion. And that's, a big weight to hold. Absolutely. And, you know, and yet I will say that, you know, one thing that is part of my body being and kind of part of my psychological survival in my own childhood was to be really acutely attuned to the emotional needs of other people. That's part of how I survived the difficulties in my family unit and my own childhood. So, you know, it's one of those things that a gift that came from pain. And one of the gifts that comes from pain for me is that I not only have fluency with being with you know, any emotional state, but it actually feels like it's my purpose, right? So to feel of service at a time when people are terrified and lost and worried and anxious is actually regulating for me. Not going to lie, I am dead tired by the end of my day. Of course you (laughs) are. I am like, I've spent all of my energy But it is to be able to be of service and to give and to find generosity in that giving as a way that is going to help all of us be there for each other. It's really a gift, frankly. I wouldn't want to do anything else other than what I'm doing now. So, you know, but those walls will be there for me too. And so to me, what I'm wanting to learn and just and model too is let yourself fall apart. Like take five minutes, you know, cry in the shower you know, go for a spin around the block and allow the tears to flow, allow the fear to show itself and come back again and again to what is also very true and is cultivatable, which is a stillness that can hold all of it. Yes. And we need each other for that. Yeah. Yeah, we do. This is so helpful because I really believe that when we're, we are talking about the presence of trauma, whether in the moment or in the past, I think it really comes down to that taking stock, naming, understanding that there is a thread of experience, um, that it is not random. It's not like, oh, this happened 20 years ago and now this is happening now. It's all connected because it's all of our real lived experience. That's it. Exactly. That's right. On a cellular level. Yes. That feels very crystallized to me and I'm sure it is to those listening. 
I want to put on your hat. This is the hat of the leader of the Undoing Whiteness and Oppression Dharma Group (laughs) at the Brooklyn Zen Center. I want to put that hat on because in full disclosure, I've been really struggling might be an extreme word, but I've been grappling. That's the word. Grappling with how to give voice on this podcast to my understanding that some of the conversations that I am hosting and giving voice to are in fact privileged conversations because in the face of a trauma that we're all going through like this pandemic, those of us that have safe homes, food on the table, a sense of connection with our loved ones in the home. We actually have the ability to contemplate (laughs) and to question and to even focus on our own growth at this time. Like, wow, what a blessing that is, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not a mystery to me or it's not forgotten by me that there are many, many, many who are completely overtaken by this time and have none of these things. And this is something that is, I want to say, almost too painful Mm -hmm. to spend too much time with because what can we do and how can we befriend this? But I don't want to not talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, first of all, because a lot of people aren't talking about it. And, you know, no disparagement. What's part of my vows is no disparagement, even of the person in the highest office, right? But this is not talked about enough, but let me say something else about that. It's not new. Unfortunately, that's not new. So this is going to be a couple of uh, little blips of real talk, which is part of what we do in this Undoing Whiteness and Oppression group is we name, it is a group of white Dharmic practitioners. Most of us are students of Zen, but not everybody, who are committed to facing the social conditioning of internalized whiteness, right, and white supremacy in this country, and committed to waking up and seeing how it operates in our bodies, how it operates in our behavior, how it operates consciously and unconsciously, and we're committed to disrupting it. And part of the disruption process is being very, very, very honest and very bold about the privileges we hold just simply by having white skin in this country. So from that particular angle, what I want to say is what we're seeing, this is from my perspective as a white Dharma practitioner, what we're seeing right now in this country is simply laying bare what has been true since the dawn of this nation. This country was built, whether we want to know it or not, it was built on slavery, genocide, and land theft. So I want to just take, have the listeners and both of us like take a breath Take a breath taking that in, right? And I'll repeat that. The history of the United States of America is that 400 years ago, this nation was founded on genocide, land theft, and slavery. It is rooted in systemic forms of oppression related to class, race, and gender, right? So The reason I name these things is to say that what we're seeing happening now in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis in my country, and I'm saying it about America because I want to speak about what I know. And I, it's, we got enough to deal with here. I don't need to make my business, you know, what other people are doing elsewhere in the world. In this nation, we are seeing the terror and the tyranny 
of the systems of patriarchy and classism and racism. Because those who are most affected right now are those who have always been most affected. Those who are economically disadvantaged, those who sit on the downside of racial privilege in this country, and those who sit on the downside of gender privilege. So it's important to me to name that, to be able to, again, practice being in the truth of what has always been true about this country. So most people, when we as white folks acknowledge that, there's a tremendous amount of discomfort that comes up, right? So oftentimes the things that come up are guilt, shame, feelings of unworthiness, as in like, well, then what do I have to complain about? I mean, at least I'm not somebody who's a person of color struggling in this. Who am I to have any pain? And all of those things, interestingly enough, are actually bypasses away from being with the tyranny and the pain of racism, classism, and patriarchy. So how do we work with that without sort of uh, collapsing underneath it, right? And the first way that I name working with it is, there it is, is naming it, right? Naming that this exists, and it has since the beginning, it exists. And then back to the putting on the mask or oxygen mask first before we tend to others is being in the truth of that gives us an opportunity to be with our pain about it, right? One of the things that we teach a lot about in this group and share a lot about in this group is that, you know, whiteness is actually a collective trauma. And what I mean by that is to say that it is a fiction in the sense that there's nothing, it doesn't actually really exist. There's no, you know, there's, it is something that was developed as a way to separate people. There's a long sort of history lesson in there, which I won't go into, but as it's relevant to our discussion right now, it is an important thing to be able to acknowledge that by denying that we hold these privileges doesn't make them not true. So one of the first steps is being able to be in the truth about the forms of systemic oppression that we are all a part of in this nation. And being in the truth about them allows us to be able to bring our presence. It also allows us to bring our courage. It allows us to bring our capacity to disrupt in a way that will then end up being potentially more of use to those who sit on the downsides of these systems of oppression. So how does that relate to COVID-19? Well, one thing that I have been making a practice for myself is, first of all, news modulation. Absolutely essential for the nervous system. You have to modulate the news that we're taking in. So what I've been doing is I have been engaging a practice where I read one article a day. So I'm very careful about what the selection is. One article a day that goes a deep dive into those who are most profoundly affected by these crises. So people living in poor neighborhoods, people who are living in multiple family homes, people who are food insecure, people who are homeless. So those who do not have access to what many of us do, reading something about it and then allowing my body to fully take in what I'm hearing and seeing and trust some process of metabolizing, which comes from me, comes from stillness in practice, right? Within that, Randy, I will notice waves of all different kinds of emotion, incredible grief, incredible rage, incredible feelings of helplessness, incredible feelings of despair. But where that becomes important for me is acknowledging and recognizing that those emotions in my world, in my mind, those emotions are totally appropriate because they are meeting exactly the severity of what's happening to so many people, 
in our country right now during this pandemic that does reflect the systems of, you know, the business as usual in this country. And it's really difficult to be with it. But I make up that, you know, the truth is not healed by pretending it's not true. Definitely. Do you think that there's opportunity, Kristen, in slowing everything down and peeling back the layers of our lives that perhaps our society will be able to see this truth? Mm -hmm. That perhaps there's going to be an opportunity here to rebuild and rectify Mm -hmm. some aspect of what has been wrong for so long? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, unequivocally, yes. And one of my beloved Zen teachers who I want you all and all of your listeners to know about is a woman by the name of Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. And in fact, I think we have an overlap because she did a podcast with your woman. Raw Goddess. Yes, Raw Goddess. Yes, she did a beautiful podcast with Raw Goddess. So she might be known by some of your listeners. She is an incredible Dharma teacher. And one of the things that she said back when in 2016, the day that that shall not be named. Yes, (laughs) that day. That day is she said that everything that has been under the surface in this nation is coming to the surface and it is like lancing a boil. It is going to hurt like nobody's business, but it has always been there and it's time it come up and out. So in many ways, the way I look at that and this is it is a supreme opportunity to squarely look in the face of our nation's history and begin to look at ways that we can disrupt and dismantle the systems that have created so much pain, so much inequality, so much suffering. And I believe that actually those opportunities are showing themselves on a daily basis here. I mean, the acts of kindness that I'm sure you have witnessed as well, bring me to tears every single day. It is incredible to see what people are doing for each other. It's absolutely part and parcel at the core of our humanity is to be there for each other. And I think that this provides us with an opportunity to dig in deeper there and to acknowledge and recognize that this system of inequality has always been around and it needs to get broken up and, you know, have an opportunity to look at that and respond differently. Mm, Thank you for that brief and poignant education. To loop this all together to where we began, because we started with this idea of understanding what trauma is, how it lives in our body, how we must name it, how it's showing up in our lives, especially during this crisis time, I just want to say, after you've just enlightened us on the brokenness and how long this brokenness has been in our system, (laughs) the national system, I would also just really encourage listeners, and this is a journey that I've been on as well, to recognize how feeling we are as humans and that so much of what we experience in our own mental landscape, our physical wellness, we tend to think of that stuff in kind of a silo. Like this is just, you know, my own personal life and personal experience. And that's why I have back pain or anxiety or whatever. And I would like to offer here that in fact, so much of what we feel is so much bigger than our individual self. Yes. 
and that we are connected to the humanity across the globe, that we're connected to, I believe, the destruction of rainforests, you know, that on the flip side, part of the calm that we may feel right now is because Mother Nature herself is having an exhale. Yes. And the same goes for the pain and the oppression of other human beings, that if we continue to just go business as usual, as you said, and we kind of pretend, doesn't mean that we're escaping the reality of that depth of feeling. That's right. Simply because we don't know what to do with it, it doesn't mean it's not there. Exactly, Randy. And that's so beautiful that you name that because I think that that helps us to also remember something that I keep in mind all the time. And and I also want to just name something, and I know that you'll jive with this too, which is that it cannot go without saying that one of the ways I have found to keep looking at, keep disrupting, keep dismantling, keep paying attention to the inequities that are bearing, laying bare in this crisis right now that are really reflecting what's always been true is spiritual practice. I cannot emphasize that enough. Feeling a practice, being a part of a practice, being dedicated to a practice that is about opening myself up to however one wants to name it. It just doesn't matter. But opening myself up to the mystery, to something greater than my small little human ego mind has been the thing that has allowed me to dig really deeply into this historic pain. And so I want to encourage people to, first of all, do this kind of work together It cannot be done alone. Like you said, in silos, it cannot be done alone. It needs to be done with others. And it needs to be done, in my opinion, it needs to be done with others in the, underneath an umbrella of a holding from spirit, a holding from something that grounds us and reminds us that we are of earth. We are earth herself. And our birthright is that freedom that comes from the acknowledgement of our interconnection and also our connection to all of what is out there that has nothing to do with what's been man-made, right? And then the last point about that that I think is really important is has, that is something that's helped me settle into the work of a lifetime, which is to say this. I have uh, friends in uh, Dharma and then people in this group will say, you know, really just with so much heartbreak will say, but it's not, this is this thing I'm doing to address this particular social ill or this particular kind of system of oppression, or this is this thing I'm doing, but it's not enough. It's not enough. So why do it? It's not enough. It's not going to feed people. It's not going to turn racism or expel racism from our nation's identity, et cetera, et cetera. And my answer to that is you're right. It's not enough. It's never going to be enough. And we have to do it anyway. So part of what is so beautiful about, for me, about Zen practice is, you know, I am a lay ordained, so I've taken a series of vows. Essentially, they are vows that have me committed to living for the benefit of all beings and awakening of all beings until every being is awakened, which means that in my belief system, it means that I will come back again and again, multiple lifetimes as a bodhisattva, as somebody who is committed to the lessening of suffering of everybody, because I believe so deeply in it, but I'm led by a series of vows. And the funny thing about these vows is none of them are attainable ever. We don't meet them one and done. I'm done. I did it. I graduated from Zen school, right? It's we come back again and again. We call it the impossible situation to take these vows that can never, ever be reached. So why do we do it? We do it because it's the practice. And so I want to say that this is the same thing that we're doing at this time in our lives, in this culture, in this time is 
here's the thing, any one thing that we can do, any dozen thing that we can, it's not going to be enough to dismantle these systems that have brought so much pain and suffering to people, but we got to do it anyway. <sighs> yes. What a good way to close, Kristen. I look forward to seeing you in that next life. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back. not going to happen in this lifetime. And no, no. <laughs> exactly. We'll be back. We'll be back. That's right. That's right. Kristen, you're amazing. And I'm so glad I followed my instinct to just bring you in on this conversation. Thank you so much, Randy. And what a joy to be and spend this time with you and to dig deep and you know, lots of blessings and love to all your listeners and be easy on yourselves, be loving and kind to yourselves, embrace compassion toward yourselves and see where that leads you. Exactly. Be nice and curious about this process. Yes. Curiosity. Yes. Before we say goodbye, do tell our listeners where they can follow you and find your work. Yes, that's wonderful. Sure. So I have an Instagram is Kristen Miskell LCSW. And then also that same on Facebook, but I'll give folks an insider tip that those are my business pages, but you can certainly feel free to follow my personal page because that's Kristen M0409. And that's where you're going to see food and dogs in abundance. <laughs> and you know what? We all need food and dogs. <laughs> we really do. And that's the joy stuff, right? Absolutely. So good. Okay, Kristen. Well, I adore you and I'm so grateful. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you so much. Thank you, darling. And listeners, I love you too. And I'm so glad that you spent time with Kristen and I today digging into such a powerful and important topic. And I hope it moved you. And again, any further feedback that you have about topics and things that you want to hear on this podcast, whether you want me to talk about it, whether you want me to bring in guests on these subjects, please send a message. Um, you can direct message me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, you can also send an email right through the website. So just don't hesitate. Share, share, share. I really care and I want to give you what you need. So until next time, continue to take care of you. Bye. Bye.